Millennial Pagan Podcast. I'm your host, Autumn Wolf, and I have with me today, Christine Grace, author of The Witch at the Forest's Edge, 13 Keys to Modern Traditional Witchcraft with me today. Hello. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Me too. Unfortunately, Jara could not join us listeners. Um, He had a big concert last night with his band and woke up and had no voice. So instead of hearing a croaking frog, he just decided to take a recovery day. We'll hear him on the next mini-sode for November. But uh, So how are you doing, Christine? Oh, I'm good. I think like so many of us, we're hitting, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, we're hitting that like perfect fall moment. Um, And here in Tennessee, fall tends to come a little later, but it's finally here. And I am all for it. Yay. Well, as our listeners know, I'm about to head north to the land of cold, but I am still in the Phoenix Valley area. And today it's in the 70s. So it's kind of gorgeous. It's starting to cool down and we are having some weird days where it's cool and then not and then cool and then 90. But apparently my new home in Indiana has been really cold. (laughs) Oh, so you're moving to an early fall. Oh, yes. I'm pretty excited, actually. I've never lived somewhere where October is actually cool. Mm. I've always lived somewhere where uh, up until Halloween, you're still kind of (laughs) hot. Oh, okay. Yes. So this is going to be interesting. Somebody who lived in the town that I'm moving to said, there's always a uh, 50-50 chance it might snow on Halloween. I was like, yes. Wow. That's really cold for Halloween. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess my only complaint when I was very little and lived in New Jersey was having to wear a big puffer jacket over my costume. I remember that from being a kid too. Mm -hmm. And just being grumpy, like, I want to show off my costume. Uh Uh-huh. But it's too cold, so I'm just going to hide. Yeah. So before we dive into your book, which is coming out November 1st by Wiser... Yeah, kind, so kind of the first. Sometime between the first and the 10th, it is coming out, depending on where you have ordered it from or where you're planning to order it from. Gotcha. So like the entire world is experiencing supply chain issues right now. Mm-hmm. So is Wiser. Yes. And so, so are all publishers, not just Wiser, of course. And so there are very slight, fortunately, only very slight delays in the case of my book. And so it might mean that like, if you pre-ordered it off of Amazon and you were hoping to get it on the first, that might not happen. Right. But if you're buying it from a local witchy shop, you can go get it on the first. So yeah, (laughs) it's, um, it's a special pandemic world. (laughs) But on the bright side, you definitely will have it before solstice. Oh, yes. There you yes, go. way before solstice. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. If you're planning on giving it as a gift or you don't know yet because you haven't heard us talk about it yet. Well, hold on. We're getting there. <laughs> but first, <laughs> um, how about you share your coming of witch story? Sure. Well, so... I am a little old, so my coming of witch story starts before the internet was really a thing. And so it started in a public library in Coventry, Rhode (laughs) Island, and with a book on different types of divination that I just happened across in the library. And I had never read anything quite like it before. Like so many of us, I was always interested in 
not just like nature things, but also kind of anything spooky, folkloric. Like as a kid, I was super into it. But that was the first time that I ever really read something where people were talking seriously about magical practice happening now. Well, not now, but you know, then now, like yes, cur- yeah. contemporary. <laughs> and and although by modern standards, it was a very poor book in terms of historical accuracy, it opened a whole world for me. And once I knew that was a thing, then I was voracious about, it was like probably 93, 94. So I couldn't drive yet. So I was just relying on other people to get me to libraries basically until I could pick up some more books. And so then after that, it was Starhawk Spiral Dance and Margot Adler's Drawing Down the Moon. And I performed my like self-initiation in my mother's backyard under a full moon and just like dedicated myself to the craft and then immediately started converting my friends. <laughs> Which is normal, yes. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, that's that's my uh, my origin story. Awesome. So two very reclaiming-ish books kind of dived you in. I know from reading your book that you have, or you co-founded a completely different practice, but do you still feel like your current personal practice has some reclaiming roots? Yes, because it's me. And so, you know, those book, those early books that I could get my hands on mm-hmm. certainly have shaped who I am. So it would be totally incorrect to say that my roots aren't there because they are. And of course they shaped who I was as a young witch and, you know, set me on the path where, where I am now. Right. But I wouldn't say that there's a whole, whole lot of similarity now. Right. Right. So obviously we'll talk more about the actual tradition that you work with now, since a lot of it is in the book, but what would you consider like your daily practice or the most important keys of your practice? Well, in terms of daily practice, offering is kind of the core of just like not, not every day involves a huge ritual or some kind of like very serious spell work. But every day does involve some level of offering because for me and my practice as an animist, spirit work is the foundation of what I'm doing. And so forming mutual relationships with the allies that I'm working with is kind of the basis of everything. So the offering practices can be super, super simple, like filling up a teacup with water and that's it. Because look, sometimes we're all super busy, right? So you know, in some, but it of course can be more elaborate as well. So I would say that is kind of the, the foundational practice. And then of course it, it, on certain days it expands beyond that. Right. So what are some of the um, main spirits or deities that you work with? So I wouldn't really say I work with any deities per se. I work with land spirits, plant spirits, animal spirits, spirits of local bodies of water. So my practice is very local and very animist. And so the, for the most part, the folks I work with will fit pretty well into that category. In addition, through the kind of ancestral piece, my like grandmothers and great grandmothers down one line were very devoted to Mary. 
And she has become a really important part of my practice as well. And so there's a little bit of the kind of folk Catholic piece that comes in. I have a background in theology, but gods are of great interest to me, but not a constant part of my personal practice. Right. I understand. I um, I have gods that I like as far as their stories and I enjoy certain pantheons or feel comforted or connected to certain pantheons. But for the most part, I don't really like my most recent magics. I haven't worked with any deities or even called them in. Yeah. I've actually heard that from a lot of witches lately. And sometimes folks feel a little awkward about that. I think there's a really strong presence right now of people on the internet talking about patron deities Mm -hmm. and then feeling like, Oh, so should I, am I like witching wrong? If, if that's that's not me and no, I I don't think so. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of witches are moving away from calling themselves Wiccan or even like calling themselves by a particular religious sect that Mm -hmm. we're we're like, it's okay to just be a witch and that Mm -hmm. those two can be intertwined, but they don't have to be at the same time. And I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people going, okay, you're, we're not witching wrong if we don't have our religion tied to our craft. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's been such, that's been an incredible change just to witness over the past few decades. Oh yeah. And on the internet and everything. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So what are your favorite parts of being a witch or what are your favorite things about your craft? Hmm. Well, I think that one of my favorite things, at least, is how rooted I feel in terms of sense of place. Where I live now and where I've lived for the last 15 years is not where I was born. And I have moved a lot in the course of my life, a lot, a lot. And where I was conceived was not even where I was born. So I feel like that kind of (laughs) may have foreshadowed the rest of my life. But but I, I find that working with local spirits allows me to feel so rooted in sense of place. And I, I find that to be really, really super satisfying and a, a meaningful part of my spiritual practice. And I think, you know, another kind of key kind of touchstone for me is around ancestral connection and the kind of rootedness that comes of that as well. And through those kind of two branches, I guess that's my favorite part. Awesome. So there is a chapter in your book that does talk about ancestor work and ancestor spirits. And we'll get maybe into more of that in a minute. But what is one of the things that you have done personally to feel like you can connect with your ancestors more? Oh, it's so hard to answer that because this is such a key part of my practice. Everything? (laughs) I am not even really sure how to answer that. From the ancestors being part of, I spoke before about how offerings are a daily part of my practice. And so ancestors are absolutely a part of that. So even if I'm not making a huge deal out of it and you know, gathering a bouquet of flowers or cooking like a known ancestor's like favorite food or whatever, they're always a part of my work. And then 
also there are ritual ways that I work with the ancestors. I it's sorry, it's such no. such a big part of my practice that it's actually a little difficult to answer because the answer is everything. Right. No, that's a legit answer. Like there's not one thing that's part of your practice that you like changed or worked towards. The whole thing is working towards that goal or that part. Yeah. Right. So if I'm talking about offerings, ancestors are part of that. If I'm talking about hedge riding, ancestors are part of that. If I'm talking about reading books and learning history, ancestors are part of that. So like everything. Right. No, I, I 100% understand. So staying with ancestors for a minute, I appreciated in your book that you did take a lot of time allowing the space to talk about not allowing certain ancestors into your practice and how to do that and how to deal with maybe some of them don't want to be in your practice and how to deal with those that you don't want. Have you had that experience where you've had to kind of not cherry pick, but make sure that your invitation was specific? Oh, absolutely. And I think even more than my own experiences, which is just one person, is that this book really comes out of years of teaching very different people who are coming from very different ancestries and different backgrounds, different stories, different people involved, and helping folks work through what they're encountering as they're kind of starting to delve into some ancestor work. And so, you know, being able to reflect on, okay, how has it worked in this case? And how has it worked in this case? And in this case, but I think for all of us, Sometimes you might get a sense on the internet that people just kind of say, honor your ancestors and it sounds wonderful. And you're like, yeah, that's amazing. I totally want to do that, which it is and you should, but it's usually more complicated than that, right? So for all of us, no matter how wonderful our family connections may be, which sometimes they are and sometimes they're not, your ancestry is huge. All of our ancestries are huge. We can just extend outward and outward and outward. And so you can pretty much guarantee that whatever has happened to humans is in your ancestral lines. And so when whatever kinds of humans have existed, those folks are in your ancestral lines. So I think whatever your kind of gut responses to ancestry being clear about who you're inviting to the table is absolutely essential. And that's not to say you can't choose to work with less healed, less well, more challenging parts. Like you absolutely can, but by choice, right? Not, mm -hmm. not on accident. Um, so if you're just kind of beginning a process of welcoming ancestors into your life and kind of saying, hi, I'm here and I would be interested in listening to you. That's a great point to be like, and what I mean by that is. <laughs> X and Y are not coming to this table. But yeah. A, Z and B, maybe. No, and yeah. I, I appreciated you touching on even adoption in that chapter and how mm. um, people who are adopted can blend both biological and adopted and how adopted are just as valid as far as ancestors. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm adopted and I've known a lot of other folks who are adopted and, you know, much like wish, witches, we are a pretty diverse bunch with pretty different <laughs> perspectives on adopted family and biological family and how we experience the 
life of being adopted, how we experience these two aspects of family. And it is really harmful to adoptees when other spiritual leaders are saying this, that, or the other thing about how they have to relate to their own lineages because that's their business. Right. Chosen children are just as valid. Absolutely. Right. No, I, I appreciated that 100%. I have friends who are adopted and I was uh, what my roommate calls a stolen child, but because she decided to steal and or adopt me as an adult, her biological family have opened their arms and like taken me in as if I was her child or niece or whatnot. And so it's been an interesting experience. And so reading that, I was like, it is valid to say, turn around and say to your chosen families, hey, can I ingrain your ancestors into my ancestors and then asking those ancestors that and then also the portion where you're talking about healing your ancestors that by choice was very effective or I guess personally um, touched a point with me I've been dealing mm-hmm. with a ancestor or a bloodline curse that is a very recent curse that it's a repeated phrase that's said throughout my biological family about myself and my father that I feel like did become a curse in its own way. So I'm trying to break that myself. So reading about how you were saying that you can choose to work with your ancestors to heal these wounds was very, I guess, self-actualizing. I don't know how to say what I mean I hope it was affirming yes, for the affirming. work that you're doing. There we okay. go. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes, it was affirming because like I'm not I'm choosing not to work with the people who continually said those words. Um, most of them are still alive. But at the same time, it kind of went, oh, okay, but if this was a thing that was going back, I could pick and choose who I would work with to fix and heal this and say, like, if it wasn't just me, and my father, it was me, and my father, his father, his grandfather, I could turn around and say, okay, I'll work with one or a few of these people who are also hurt and touched by this. So that yeah. was, yeah. And, and not having to do it. I think a lot of the internet and Instagram and witch talk is talking about how you have to do these things as a witch, that that's the point of witchcraft. And it's like, no, it's not. You can move no, forward. You don't have to those, cut those things off. Yeah. You, you don't, you don't have to, who, who is saying you have to, that's. Yeah. I'm reading a lot about that. That's the power of a witch is to heal these generational curses. And it's like, you don't have to heal them for anybody, but you. Yeah. I mean, that certainly is a power. Yeah. And for those who are claiming that power, absolutely good on you. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I, I worry about those kind of like broad pronouncements made online And I try to make my broad pronouncements online either just funny (laughs) or broad in a helpful way, hopefully. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not not in a way that that pushes people to do something that isn't their calling that they're not called to do right now. And I and I worry that, you know, so many of those kind of memes and kind of like quippy, like short statements are pushing folks into what can really be re-traumatizing. And if folks are not coming from a place of having the resources and support and stability to choose to do that work, that's just kind of a re-victimization and not really the empowering experience that witchcraft is supposed to be. Bing. I love it. You said it right on the nose. 
So moving away from ancestor work and such, would you like to talk about the tradition that you co-founded and that is steeped throughout your book, of course? Sure. Well, so I think I should say at the outset, I eventually made a choice that the book was not going to be either for or really about my tradition, but rather sharing the kind of basic information that we share with our apprentices. And like my teaching style is very mentorship based. So it's kind of like, here's some reading material based on your interest, though, we're going to go outside of that also. And we're going to figure out like where you're at right now. And everybody is so different and has different skills to begin with, different interests, different struggles, different preferences, different styles of learning and thinking and being in the world. And so it's it's really kind of based on a broad system of mentorship and is not so much like a description of my tradition. So I don't think you'll read through this book and be like, oh, well, in Christine's tradition, you set up your altar like this. And now on Tuesday, the second Tuesday of the month, you raise like this tool in this direction and speak these words. It's not specific like that. But as far as the tradition that is kind of underlying it, the book really sprung from that tradition. And um, the leaders of my tradition, The Forest Edge, And I were all leaders of another tradition previously, which was in some ways very similar in terms of drawing on um, hedge writing type practices and being very green oriented, non-Wiccan, and a kind of balance of what people call dark and light, which I don't love. I like to just say green Mm -hmm. and let you assume that nature is sometimes red in tooth and claw. (laughs) But there were some we had a realization that some of the ways we had structured that tradition were no longer what we really wanted to be putting out into the world. So we dissolved that group and decided to just start fresh. And so we're just a small group of people scattered around in different places. At various times, there have been clusters of us in different locations where one initiate maybe teaches some other people. And now we've got a little group here and there. But we're really focused on coming from a place of animism, coming from a place of folk magic, and some things that are different than some people prefer in their witchcraft. We consider both hedge riding and ritual possession to be essential practices, at least if you're heading toward initiation in our group. That's awesome. I love how you said that nature is sometimes red tooth and claw. I think a lot of people lose that idea that, you know, there's predators and prey in nature. And I know I have at least one friend who does her own slaughtering of her animals and stuff like that. And people on the internet go and attack her and say, well, you're not practicing real Wicca or real witchcraft because you're harming something. And it's like, that's nature. That's necessary. So Mm -hmm. I I appreciated exactly how you said that, that that green witchcraft does mean that sometimes there is the tooth and claw and sometimes there's the growth and the beauty and the birth. Absolutely. One time, fortunately, not very many people followed me on Instagram when I posted this because now just be, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. (laughs) But like one in bulk, we had to slaughter some chickens. We raised chickens and ducks. And I just saw what I thought was quite beautiful at the time, which was sort of just the very beginnings of green plants starting to come up in the beginning of February. And then like red blood kind of contrasted with just like a 
very brightest, freshest, brand, brand new greens. And I was like, oh, like a beginning and an end right there. This is exactly what I mean. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. That, that is, that is nature. That's yeah. the way it is. Exactly. I love it. Also, I think witches who slaughter animals are probably doing it in about the most ethical, respectful, and relational way that you could ever hope that an animal would have its one bad day after a beautiful life. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, I definitely. 100%. Because we're just, we're going to appreciate them more as like the beings that they are and the soul. Absolutely. And that's yeah. all animism is, is realizing everything has its own soul and its own life to it and mm-hmm. respecting that. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, your tradition is called Forest's Edge. Is it like Forest Edge? Forest's Edge Witchcraft? I guess. Okay. Uh, we're, we're just we're just the Forest Edge. That's it. Gotcha. You could call okay. us the Forest Edge tradition of witchcraft, I guess. Right. Yeah. So when did you start developing that? How long has it been? I think I said recently it was about 10 years ago. So I think that's about true. Wow. Yeah. And do you have people who are still working with you for that whole decade? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So what are some of you just mentioned that some of the important parts, at least if you're going into initiation is hedge writing and spiritual ritual possession, ritual possession. There we go. Start with the wrong word. That's why I lost it. So before reading your book, I've never heard hedge witchery or hedge writing, um, the way that you said it. So the chapter on that, it does, of course, explain it perfectly. Oh, good. I'm so glad. (laughs) Yes, perfectly. But it was an interesting way of phrase. Where did you first found that phrasing? Well, so remember how I referenced being part of an older tradition? Mm -hmm. So we called it shamanic witchcraft then. And then kind of came to understand that there are some issues around cultural appropriation with the term shamanism. And just did not necessarily super want to be allying ourselves with certain figures who have kind of promulgated the use of that term. So like kind of simultaneously, I guess, or at least to my knowledge, relatively simultaneously, I started becoming aware of books where people were talking about and, you know, like other folks that I knew started talking about this term hedge witch in a totally different way than I remember it from like the nineties. Right. Like I definitely read a book called the path of the hedge witch or something like that in the nineties. And it was about kind of like solitary Wicca. Yes. Basically kind of like low, kind of low church, like low ceremony, solitary Wicca basically. And, but then this term came from hedge riding in the kind of European traditions of both hedges as liminal spaces and also traditions around witches flying on brooms and sticks of various sorts. And, you know, there's some like linguistics being pulled in there to kind of get to calling witchy shamanism or spirit flight is maybe the best term, perhaps. I don't know. It's so hard to pick the word to describe the experience, but we went with hedge riding because that was where it was seeming to go in the broader witchcraft community that folks were seeming to tend toward hedge riding 
as a non-appropriative way of describing the experience of spirit flight, basically. No, and I love that you phrased it that way in in your book, saying that this way we're not appropriating. And you defined where shamanism came from. And I was just like, yes, because so many people (laughs) don't know that it didn't come from Native, like a Native American word. Oh, yeah. No. I appreciated that. And I can't, I can't stop saying enough about how the way that you describe certain things, and this is for our listeners. So pipe in, this is why I would suggest this book to anybody. There's certain things that you wrote in your book that weren't written in books that I've read before that are important key information that when you're developing your witchcraft, you have to go and figure out on your own. And I don't feel like you're telling anybody this is exactly how to do it. Every single thing is this is how it works in witchcraft. And this is how you can form it for yourself. And like I said, these things aren't described anywhere else unless you had a teacher, unless you're listening to all of the podcasts that have been out there and like trying to figure it out for yourself. And you have to like head like hodgepodge it from so many different sources. So your book, I feel like is like the perfect spot for somebody who's already read their beginner stuff and are ready to start actually developing their own practice. And it's... Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. That's exactly (laughs) what I wanted it to be. Sometimes I worry that people will be disappointed that it's not more like, this is what you should do. And, and that it is more like, okay, this is how this works. And here are some ways to help you figure out how you want to do this. I worry that it's not as exciting as being told, this is what to do now. Well, it's not, but that's the point. Like when the, your book isn't for the person who wants to be told, this is what you're doing now. It is for that person who has their basics done and are ready to start developing their, their actual spirit journeys and their actual shadow works and things like that. Like the, the, you're going, you're getting ready for that next step. I love hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Of course. No, the whole time I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, I wish I had that sooner. Oh, this is so great to hear in a book. And that was like the whole time I was reading it, I felt like that in different spots. And to me, like some of them, I was like, okay, I can skim over because we both agree on something or like, I've already developed this for myself. But then there's so many people out there, especially some of the listeners who've reached out to me to ask how and when, that I would definitely be like, this is where you need to go. This is the next step. And it's not a, it's definitely a witchcraft tradition or a witchcraft book. It's not a religious book at all. Like we, we've already discussed so far, like there's no deities in what you work with. So don't expect you do touch on deity and how to develop those relationships, which I appreciate, even though it's not something that you do, but it's not, um, this is not something book. that I do, but right. it definitely is something that folks that I work with and that students of mine do and have done. And I, I love it all. And my background's in theology and right. spiritual caregiving. So I, I love talking about it and helping people f- kind of find their way in mm-hmm. the sea of choices that are really out there in terms of what might call to you. But yeah, it's just not, yeah. not really a big part of my practice. So if you already have that developed, then you, you, 
You're not getting extra information that you don't need from your book yeah. there. And there's room for you here. Yes. <laughs> like, absolutely. Yes. It's room for everyone here that's trying to work with those kind of things. So I definitely would suggest that your book for people who are trying to develop their witchcraft and that they're ready for that next step in their witchcraft journey. Oh, I'm just blushing now. I'm glad. <laughs> oh, no, I mean it. I really do. Definitely. I, I got to say that at my point in my craft, I did skim a lot, but a lot of it was because it was well-written and it's definitely all those kind of things that I wish I had like two or three years ago. And I was just like, this would have been useful <laughs> back then. It would have saved me so much Googling. Definitely. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or all of those articles on Pantheos that you like have to skim through when you type oh, in the one yeah. subject you're trying to work on. And of course, I'm never saying to anybody, don't read more, always read more. But this is definitely like that whole, great, here's the structure. Now fill in your blanks. And even mm -hmm. your, your thoughts at the end of the chapters that you give, like, here's what you should do next or what, where are you at? Reflections are perfect for that too. And oh, good. For, for those, especially for somebody who's really picking it up to try and work through it. Yeah, that's the that's the intention. And the idea is that it can function like uh, a mentorship style of teaching functions, which is to say that, you know, some folks, when I start working with them as a mentor, are super developed in their practice already. Like they have been practicing for a long time and they are coming from a place of having a practice, but there's some other aspect because there's, there's so many things to do in witchcraft, right? Right. So, so you can be super well-developed in like one area, but maybe you want a structure to organize it, or maybe you're looking to bring like your skills over here, kind of up to par with your skills over here, which are already amazing. And so I hope that you can skim the parts where you're just like, uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Nailing this. <laughs> and then you can really dive into those chapters where it's like, oh, I need that. I need to read yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. That's that's exactly what I did. I actually, one my favorite chapter was actually, da, 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 I want to say 12 or 11. So for the, no, it was, it was 13. No, nah. I did read through 10 very religiously. And for those who obviously don't have the book in front of them yet, Chapter 10 is green and local craft. And then chapter 11 is practical use of magical theory. And I felt like those two for me were the most important so far. Oh, interesting. I think because I'm moving, I'm really focusing on rereading or end reading anything that is like a magical help for diving into a new location. And so when you're talking about like local craft, it's like, okay, well, my local craft is going to change immensely. I'm going. It um, is. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to like, remember how to do that. Cause when I moved out here from Phoenix, uh, our longtime listeners know this, I went into a bad depression and really didn't learn how to restructure my craft to Phoenix and the Phoenix spirits, the spirits of the desert for a really long time. I was here maybe two years before I actually started going back into my craft and making it more local and more understanding. And Phoenix is just a very different animal from the Appalachian Mountains as far as that's concerned. And so as I developed and learned, I was able to appreciate the area more. And now I'm about to do that all over again and be in a completely different state, a completely different environment. And it's like, okay, how do I 
not have the same things happen where I can take that time to steep myself into this new locale. So having that in a book that I wasn't expecting to find it in was just like, oh, hi, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm glad it hits you at just the right time. I think for me, it changes everything with my relationship to a new place. Mm -hmm. If I can connect spiritually, intentionally, as soon as possible. And, and it's not an immediate process. Like even moving within a region, but to a new specific location. I mean, I've lived in the house that I've lived in for, I think coming on three years Mm -hmm. and my relationships here are still developing, which isn't to say I didn't feel at home or welcome here before. I certainly did, but those relationships are still growing. And so I think, you know, if, If only I had had that book when I moved to Tennessee 15 years ago. (laughs) That would have been... Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Well, even every house is going to have a different spirit to itself. Absolutely. And every room is going to be different. And when you live in an apartment versus a home, and like all of our listeners can definitely work on developing those connections. And I'm about to go into an almost 90-year-old house. Ooh. So that of itself, it definitely has a mature spirit and Mm -hmm. on the property has the oldest tree in that county. So those are two very mature spirits for that land in that area. And it's like, I'm going to be walking in and like, how do you approach that? You have to be very respectful, very reverent and recognize that they're not going to change who they are just because you walked in that they're not going to immediately respect you as the now home owner, home liver, or a resident, that they're going to be skeptical. People have come and gone from this space. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you walk in with this attitude of, I own you now, it's like, they're not going to serve you well. The moment you walk in and you're like, okay, hi, hello, how are you? I'm new here. Teach me how to be here. Then they're going to be like, oh, okay. And when you yeah. say, no, I'm, I'm here for the long haul, it's like, oh, okay. All right. We'll keep an eye on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See what you mean. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, what a magical space to be living into though. Oh, yeah. And I'm uh, not the only witch in my house and there's two big brick fireplaces and it's, ooh. oh yeah. So definitely a whole lot of breath moving through and a lot of just life. We're mm-hmm. all really excited because I think all of us that are moving into the house are animists on, on some level. Oh, good. So what inspired you to write this book? Oh, necessity. Um, <laughs> Mary Jean, my podcast co-host, dear friend, magical practitioner partner, wrote the first set of teaching material for the new tradition and that together. And then after a few years, it was time for a rewrite. And for various reasons, I was the only person who was really able to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I was also in the process of having and raising babies and toddlers. (laughs) So, but I did it, but I did it very slowly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But we just needed it. We just needed fresh material to use as kind of the foundational piece with our apprentices and the other initiates who are teaching needed something to start with. And we wanted it to be freshened up. So I just kind of had to do it. And often literally 
nursing a baby on one side and typing with my other hand because it just had to get done. Mm -hmm. And then once I got close to being done, I talked to the voices who I guess you call like the council of elders or something in my tradition, the people that I ask for advice from, I guess. Right. (laughs) And so I was like, so I'm almost done. Everyone's like, hey. And I'm like, but this is really different than last time when Mary Jean and I wrote this together and it was really collaborative. And we were also kind of like drawing from several other initiates and their ideas. And even if we were the ones mostly doing the writing, like, you know, it was just a very different vibe. And I was like, and this time it's quite different because I really just sat down at a computer and did it. And so the voices were like, yeah, well, it's different because you wrote a book this time. And I was (laughs) like, did I now? (laughs) And then one of our voices is an author. And he was like, yep, you did. And people are going to want to read it. And I was like, really? (laughs) This? Well, Wiser wanted to read it. So yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so then I was really encouraged to kind of put it out there in the publishing world. And I did to Wiser and Llewellyn. And then I figured if they didn't want it, maybe I could find like a smaller publishing house that would be willing to take me. Um, Or I could maybe self-publish it on Amazon, but both Wiser and Llewellyn made me an offer. So I picked. (laughs) And here we are. (laughs) Yay. Awesome. No, I am glad that your voices told you to go and do this. That sounds funny. My voices told me. (laughs) Yeah. Those kind of voices. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the voices of the elders of your tradition. There we go. That sure. sounds less crazy. Yeah. Right. Mm. No, it was really helpful to get that <laughs> encouragement. Honestly, it was to tell me like, no, you're not crazy. Like this is, this is a thing. And it's not just a thing for us. This is like a thing. And then kind of once I said that, I was like, oh yeah, no, of course it is. That's why this feels weird because it is a book. And I studied creative writing as an undergrad. That was my like concentration. So I should have, I should have known, but somehow, <laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> I just. So obviously it hasn't been published yet, but since it's been in your possession, you've had initiates work through it and use it. And how's that? <laughs> right. <laughs> How has that gone? Oh, well, so it has only been in my possession since I went and bought it at a local witchy shop last weekend. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> my author copies have not arrived. Oh um, as far as I know, if you go to Draconis Arcanum in East Nashville in Tennessee, that might be the only place you can get a copy, but you can get a copy right now um, there. <laughs> and, and that's what I did. I was like, wait, so you're telling me it's in stock, like, in your shop. And Rebecca, who runs the shop is like, "Uh uh-huh. And I'm like, so I can go there and buy it. And she was like, yeah. So I did. Um, (laughs) of course, course, I mean, of course (laughs) I had to hold the paper copy in my hand and be like, I love you. Hello. Uh, Hello. And my kids were like, so you're so happy. And is this like how happy you were having us? And I was like, I was happier having you babies, <laughs> but this is kind of my third baby. <laughs> like, yes. yes. The first book is always kind of like a, a new baby bringing it home and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I really have not had the opportunity to have this exact version of it 
and hand like the paper copy to someone and be like, okay, first read this and then we'll figure out, you know, what the next steps that you want to take in your growth are. However, it is not entirely, of course, dissimilar to how I have been working with apprentices and it works well for, for folks who are interested in that kind of approach. Right. Um, it allows a lot of specificity, but it also yes. means it requires a fair amount of work Yes, for, for the person. I definitely yeah. agree that it is broad enough that everybody can use it. Everybody can pick it up and, and do get something out of it. I, but I say that of almost every witchy book, you're going to get something out of it. But what I mean, as far as anybody in that's listening, if you pick this book up, you are actually going to learn something or you're going to figure something out that you didn't know. Like I said, I'd never heard hedge writing being used to describe spirit writing. Spirit or, flight. Yeah. Spirit flight before. And it gives a lot of food for thought, 100%. And it leaves a lot of room for you to be you. And those are the things that I can say 100% positively, amazingly about it. So with that being said, I think we're, we're going to leave it at that. And I'm going to tell all of you to pick up a copy of The Witch at the Forest's Edge, The 13 Keys to Modern Traditional Witchcraft. And say thank you, Christine, for coming on and imparting us with your wisdom and having this conversation with me. And where can our listeners find more information about you if they're interested in joining Forest's Edge and where can they follow you on socials and stuff? Well, I am at a witch betwixt on Instagram, also on Twitter, but I really only use Twitter to make Instagram reposts, oddly <laughs> enough. Um, but yeah, so basically find me on Instagram at a witch betwixt spelled exactly the way you think. Uh, like I'm having that whole imposter problem with accounts who are not really me mm-hmm. contacting people and being shady. Uh, right. so it is spelled exactly the way you think a witch betwixt nothing creative about it. And I also have a website, which is christinegracebetwixt.com. And from that website, you can find pre-order links for the books. You can find more about the tarot readings and mentorship sessions that I offer. You can find links to the podcast that I do, which is called Betwixt and Between. And that's on like iTunes and Google and stuff like that. And yeah, that's, that is currently how to find me. Um, Betwixt and Between has a Patreon. It's all linked through the website. There are pre-order links also in the link in my bio on Instagram. And I think there's maybe going to be a new offering on Patreon coming because so many people have asked for mentorship through the book, but not in the tradition that I'm working on kind of a book club mentorship thing that we might do through Patreon. So (laughs) yeah, exciting things are in the works. Yes. Awesome. Well, speaking of Patreon, Millennial Pagan Podcast has some Patreon supporters that we need to personally thank this month. I have stars next to your name. We have a Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. And Emerald. Thank you, Emerald. So thank you all of our Patreon supporters. I know we haven't been doing the commercial during our breaks for Patreon. And that's because this upcoming year, 2022, we are going to be reworking our entire Patreon structure and what you get for what money you do. So stay in tuned for that. That will be announced very shortly, um, probably around December or January. 
And you can find me, Autumn Wolf, at Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. The Instagram is Millennial Pagan Podcasts, which is, I believe, Millennial Pagan Pod. And you can find me on, what's that called? Oh, no. Twitter, Facebook. It's a writing, WordPress, ha, WordPress at the <laughs> Iron Iron Wolf Circle. Um, I haven't wrote anything very recently, but probably after the move, I'll sit down and write something. Who knows? Who knows? I have a very long Thanksgiving weekend this year, so maybe I will write something that week about moving. Who knows? Anyway, so that is us. Obviously, you can find Millennial Penguin Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And Merry Meet. And Merry Parth. And Merry Meet again. (laughs) 